Welcome to the Prodigy Maker Show with Chris Lewitt. Chris Lewitt is an internationally recognized high-performance coach, educator, and author of two best-selling books, The Tennis Technique Bible and The Secrets of Spanish Tennis. Tune in weekly as Chris answers questions live from around the world and discusses topics in junior development, technical and tactical training, Spanish tennis methods and philosophies, and more. The Prodigy Maker Show is primarily focused on high-performance junior training and how to help children maximize their potential. The program features intelligent insight from Chris and debate from leaders in the high-performance industry. The show can be watched live on Chris's Facebook profile, and video versions of the show are archived at youtube.com forward slash Chris Lewitt. And now, here's Chris. What's up, guys? It's Chris. Another Prodigy Maker show, episode 24, broadcasting to you live from my kitchen late night on a Thursday night, and I'm excited for a great show This is the Big Footwork Show. Last week we talked about the forehand technique. This week we're going to do a lot of discussion on footwork and movement and training balance and all that good stuff. And if we have time, I'd also like to discuss academies and homeschooling. I had a number of questions from parents this week about academies and and homeschooling options. So I'd like to try to get to that if we have time at the end of the show. But I wanted to welcome you all. Thank you for the waves. I see people logging on and sending a shout outs and I really appreciate that. Thank you guys for supporting the program. Awesome. I'd like to introduce you to my co-host Sammy. Sammy. Sammy, you there? Here he is. He's a legend. Sammy. Come here, buddy. The Academy Dog. Here you go. Say hello. Say hi, everyone. Whoa. That is my hairless American Terrier. He's an American hairless terrier. And he kind of looks like a Dalmatian. He's a rock star wherever he goes. If I walk him down the block, everybody stops and gives him a pet or a hug. Sammy is my trusty sidekick. He helps me out at the summer camp. We run a summer camp in Vermont. And Sammy is a player favorite there, so we call him the tennis dog or the academy dog. So I've got Sammy on these late nights when I do the show. Sammy gives me a little friendship because it can get a little lonely here in the Lewitt kitchen late at night. And uh, hopefully you guys will also help me build community and, and I can feel the friendship through the, this amazing medium, this digital medium that we have Facebook Live. And, and uh, we will also try to build community with the new podcast and with the YouTube channel. The show on YouTube is blowing up. We're getting hundreds of views per week, which is really cool. I'm, I know that some people don't like Facebook that much. So if Facebook's not for you, then no problem. You can watch the show uh, on a replay on YouTube and the YouTube channel I think is perfect for that it's it's great we archive everything there and I know a lot of people specifically wait for the YouTube show to to get posted and then they they watch the show there or you can also get the show now on all the podcast distribution platforms so we're really excited to get on iTunes we just got on iTunes last week so if you happen to check the show out on iTunes if you wouldn't mind please giving us a five-star review so we can improve our search ranking and get higher 
uh, with the algorithm that they use for podcasting. And you can also get the show on Spotify and Google Play and all the other ones like TuneIn. So whatever, however you like to get your podcast, please enjoy the show that way. I know that I love to listen to podcasts. That's, that's one way that I stay up to date on industry trends. And I think it's a great way to learn from the experts in the industry, tennis leaders. There, there's some excellent information. There's also some very bad podcasts with a lot of bad information. But if you search the way I do, if you search very carefully through the podcasting archives that are online, you can find some really amazing interviews and a lot of knowledge if you're careful and, and you use a, the process of discernment when you're trying to find a good show. Guys, thanks for the ways. I see a bunch of old friends. And I really appreciate your support. If you have footwork questions, let's do it. Let's get into it. Let's start talking about how to build that base of support, as they say in Spain. How do we build world-class movement and footwork? So the first thing that I'd like to talk about is balance. And one of the things that I notice as a junior developer, so I get a lot of kids at 10 or 11 or 12 and I don't know what's going on U10 and I talk about this a lot but in something is wrong in the U10 level you know something is going on where many clubs now I'm in New York on the East Coast what is it you wanna go nappy you need a nap you want a nap Alright, hold on guys. Sammy needs his nap. I gotta get him set up on the couch. Let's do it. Go, 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 go. Come on. This is a serious show. This is high performance junior development. Get on the couch. Here. Come on. Alright, sorry guys. This is serious business. I gotta get back to the show. Alright, Sammy, you rest there. If I need you for footwork help, I'll call you. Alright, we're back. Okay. Something is going on in the U10 level and I want to talk about it. Something is wrong. Maybe it's just America. Maybe it's just New York. I don't know. But the kids that I'm seeing at 10, 11, 12 have a very poor foundation of movement, of footwork and balance. I'm not exactly sure why. Maybe it's the the red and orange ball curriculums, or it's just the, the coaches are not stressing that in the local clubs, uh, especially for recreational players who are kind of just starting out. I don't know if, if the main focus is on too much on the hands and not enough on the feet, but for me, I'm seeing, I don't know if I want to call it an epidemic, but maybe I will. It, it's something big that's problematic that indicates that there's a failure going on U10. Uh, so that could start at, I don't know, four, five, six years old and all the way up to when the players hit yellow ball. I'm seeing a lot of issues with, with balance in particular. Balance for me is everything. And maybe it comes from spending so many years studying in Spain. But balance is the priority. It's a, there's a, I put a premium on balance. And I see many players who are swinging. They're swinging the racket and their, their torso is off kilter. They don't have good posture with their upper body and or, or they may be shifting to the to the left or the right as they hit or falling backwards or leaning too much forward. So the balance could be any number of things like that. But I think it really must have to do with the way I was trained and the way I've studied in Spain for so many years where in Spain 
they look past the swing and they look towards the torso. They look towards the center of the body to check for the balance and posture of the player. And so there, there's an obsession in Spain about posture as you hit. And there's an obsession of, with positioning. And positioning means getting your feet into a place so you can receive the ball with balance. I was just working tonight with a player, pretty highly ranked player, who was struggling with just that. And this boy is 12 years old, turning 13, and he's struggling with basic movement fundamentals. He has a pretty good ranking here in New York, and he, he has a lot of struggle with moving and finding the balance, especially on the backhand side. That's another thing. In the U.S., for some reason, most most of the movement problems are, are backhand side related. We have a lot of American players who struggle moving to the backhand side. And I see many, many players who are not taught a good open stance when they're stretched out wide. So I think that is also critical. You, we have to be teaching good backhand movement laterally, forward and backwards. And also a good open stance uh, with like a load and explode and then a landing and a good crossover. And I'll sort of talk about, I'll go into those details a little more technically. I'm not sure how technical to get, but I'm, I'm going to basically talk to you guys the way I would talk to a parent or, or a student or maybe even at a coaching workshop. I really believe that footwork can be taught or should be taught as, as simply as possible and not overcomplicated. And in my opinion, either footwork is not taught at, at all, or, or it's just disregarded or, or not emphasized enough, or it's overtaught, where, where the, the, there's so much time spent on footwork and technique that it takes away from the overall timeline of development, and it slows the rate of development. And that's one of the arguments that I've made for, for a long time now on the show. We talked about it last week as well, where I, I think that the measure of a coach is, is the rate that they can Im improve a player. So the faster you can get a player better, the more efficient you are as a coach, that means you're a better coach. And so when I, whenever I have coaches studying with me or I'm judging other coaches and their work, I'm always looking to see, do these coaches work efficiently and are they able to get improvement in their players quickly and so in my experience sometimes coaches spend way too much time on different foot movements and different uh, working on different stances and variations and going through long complex variations uh, progressions and to me that is a huge waste of time especially for kids who are very natural movers who have good instincts for movement they're very fluid and some kids are, in my experience, the, those kids who are more talented with their movement, they actually don't need that much footwork training. They certainly don't need a lot of technical training. So I'd like to sort of talk about that a little more too. But getting back to the balance, right? So how do you, how do you get it? Like, how do you do it? The first thing is you've got to see through the swing and analyze the player's posture. You look for the torso alignment. You look for their head position. Are they keeping their head still? You look for their base of support. The base of support is a term that comes from Spain. It's a term that Jose Higueras uses a lot. And it, it describes the, the, not just the stance, but the width of the stance and the flex in the legs. In Spain, they would say flexion. 
the flexion in the legs. And the, that base of support really helps with the balance. Thank you for the love, guys. Appreciate the hearts and the thumbs up. Love it. Thank you so much. We've got a uh, big, big audience and, and a lot of uh, old friends tuning in and saying hello. I always appreciate that. We're trying to build out the show and make, make new friends always. So please share if you can, guys. If you know somebody who might be interested in the show, a parent, a coach, or a player, please share the show with them. We'd really appreciate that. So you've got to look past the swing. It's very hard, I think, for coaches who are trained in the U.S. for some reason. I think I was one of them, and my coach was Israeli, uh, Gilad Bloom, who I talk about a lot. He's a huge influence on me. He's a really spectacular technical coach, and he taught me everything I know about footwork and technical training at the beginning of my career. I was tremendously lucky to study with a world-class technician like Gilad. So he was an Israeli guy with the uh, he traveled a lot in Europe, so he had a very good background. He was a professional player, top 60 in the world. And so he became uh, an expert technical coach. And I was just fortunate enough to train under him as a player when I was older, out of college, and trying to play pro, pro circuit. I was lucky enough to train with him for several years. And then, I, unfortunately, I got injured, and then I spent a lot of time you know, learning from him and learning to be a coach. So that's how I got into coaching. I was very, very fortunate. And Gilad, I think, is a, an expert on, on footwork. He, he builds beautiful coordination and agility in his players. And the way he does it is with a series of drills. And some of those drills I still use to this very day. You know, years later, I, I still love some of the exercises that he taught me and that we used at his academy and his program. So... Some of those drills I included in uh, our online school. So I have an online course that is really good, if I may say so myself. Uh, shameless plug. I guess I'm a little biased, but I think it's a really good online course. There are so many courses that are so complicated, and they have so many videos that people never even get through them. They're way too complex, especially footwork videos and footwork drills. Uh, footwork programs are oftentimes way too complicated, and they miss the whole point. Footwork training should be efficient, and footwork training should be simple, and you should teach as little footwork as you need to. You don't want to, you, you should teach as little as necessary, you know. You, you don't want to over-teach footwork. So in my course online, it's at clta.teachable.com, clta.teachable.com. That's my online academy. The online academy is growing very fast. We are selling courses like hotcakes right now. I reduced the prices of all the courses so people are scooping them up and we won't be raising the prices again. We're going to keep the prices low so we can build out a really nice community in the online school. So I have this course, this footwork course, and in it I include some of those classic drills that I used to do with Gilad to build the basics. And I also include a, a number of Spanish drills that I love. So one of my favorite drills, there's a lot of drills with hand feeding. And let me just maybe give you a few, few of my favorites. One for balance is what you do is you, you hand feed the ball around the court for the player, different situations, and you have them load and explode or hit, and then they have to freeze and hold their balance, hold their stability. It's one of my favorite exercises. I do it all the time with with kids from five years old up, 
up to 12, 13, 14 years old, anyone who's struggling with their base of support or their balance. And it's an amazing exercise where you take the player all over the court, you challenge them in different positions from hand feeding, and then you ask them to not only hit the ball with control, but to control their body, control their explosion, and and especially control the landing. The landing for me is really key. That's where you're gonna measure whether they were able to hold their stability, hold their balance, hold their posture well, or if the posture broke down. So, So drills like that, that sort of have a Spanish influence, I love. I think we have some of those drills for free on our YouTube channel. I'll have to check on that, but of course, Guys, come on, 39 bucks, whatever. You can, you can get the whole course if you want and, and check out all of my favorite drills. And it's going to be simple. I promise you the drills will be effective. They will work for you and they won't be overly complicated. They won't be a waste of time. So that's really important. And going, getting back to like Gilad drills, like what Gilad always focus on is the actual physical agility, the footwork of the player, the movements, the technique. So one of my favorites is to toss a ball laterally, for example, and work on a player's movement left to right. So working on, on efficient moving out to the, to the doubles alley, near the doubles alley, a good balance for the shot, and then working on the recovery skill, like the crossover step. In my experience, so many kids struggle with that lateral movement. Remember, lateral movement is the predominant movement in tennis, you know, studies show up to 70% of the movements on the court are lateral, so left and right along the baseline. So that has to be where the rubber meets the road. That has to be where the main focus should be. Can you move the player outside the court to the left or right, forehand and backhand, and can they recover quickly to get ready for the next shot? That, to me, is, is critical. If a player struggles with that, they're going to struggle with their consistency. So that's what Gilad used to do so well. He has a, a number of really amazing drills, very simple drills, but very intense and very technical and precise. And, you know, they involve usually hand feeding. A lot of the footwork training that I do is with hand feeding. So you toss a ball out wide. The player has to move there with efficient steps, hit, square up, crossover, and then side shuffle back. And you you work on that technique. There's a lot of detail there to get right. But if you work on that enough with a player who's struggling with their lateral movement, you can clean it up beautifully. I mentioned some of the Spanish drills that work on balance. I think you just sort of have to reframe the way you look at a player, the way you, you, you see the player. Because before I worked in Spain, before I studied in Spain, before... I, I, I traveled to Spain for so many, I went there, I've been there 12 years now, we, we live there in the summer. I, I, I always used to focus on the hands and maybe what the feet were doing in terms of the technique of the feet, but I don't think I focused as much on the posture, the, the torso, the center of the player, and, and the, even the head in relation to the center of the player. And in Spain, the coaches, for some reason or another, they just look at the center of the, of the body. They almost look past the swing. So you have a group of uh, 100 coaches or, or whatever, 1,000 coaches, and, and the, all the coaches are looking at the details of the swing, the back swing, the forward swing, the, 
the follow through, especially backswings and follow throughs. Like American coaches, the coaches here in, in the Northeast U.S., they focus so much on the take back and the follow through and things like that, you know. And in Spain, they really don't see that. Like it's almost like invisible to them. And they are, they are obsessed with the, the way the legs are moving and the way the torso is centered, right? To get into position to receive the ball. And they're obsessed with the relationship with the ball. If the ball is in a good place, then the posture will be maintained. If, if the ball is, is in a poor place, like too low or too high, or behind the player, the player is going to lose balance from, from that. So a lot of the balance training also comes from the, the reading. You know, you have to read the ball coming in, get in good position, and then you can hit it with better balance. So it's not just the body itself, it's also the reading of the incoming ball. So what am I seeing in U10? Kids coming out of U10 is just a disaster. I, I don't know if... I, I think the coaches are not really emphasizing footwork. They don't want to do it because what happens is if you're a coach who stresses footwork to a bunch of young kids, they're going to hate that lesson usually. They're not, you're not going to be their favorite coach and you're probably going to get fired or you're going to lose your client base at the local club. It takes a very strong-willed coach, a, very, a coach who holds to their values, a coach who, who's, who's relatively firm to discipline players to, to move their feet well. And it's very difficult to make it fun at the same time. I think some coaches are able to do it better than others. I think most coaches have given up on trying to teach good movement and footwork because it's not as fun as just playing. It's not as fun as just using your, your hand to hit the ball. But I think we, we got to do that, guys. We have, we have to try to stress good footwork and movement, especially for the serious players. But I would say even for the, the, the kids who are going to end up playing high school. All of the players that I work with are competition players. I don't coach anyone who's just going to play recreational. So, and this is my perspective as a high-performance junior developer. I have kids who just play on their high school team. And my students are the only ones who move their feet well. They're the only ones who split-step well. The only ones who, who cross over side shuffle when they're moving later, after moving laterally. And we work a lot on their balance. It's, it, these are fundamentals that you can't just gloss over. And in my neck of the woods here in New York, I would say 99% of the high school kids, 98%, the ones who are not tournament players, and even some of the ones who are tournament players, they, they don't move. They don't split. They don't cross over side shuffle. They don't they don't have a good base of support. They're playing the, the game of tennis primarily with their hands. And I think that is a huge mistake. When I see the hands disconnected from the feet, there's no synchronization there. There's no synergy between the hands and the feet. I know that the development was, was poor when those players were younger. One of the hardest things I have to do is try to convince a high school player to move their feet when maybe I, they came to me at a later age. Maybe they came to me at 13 or 14. And I have to convince them that, hey, to be a good player, we need to focus on your movement skills so you can be a, the best high school player you can be. Because a lot of times they look around at their teammates and no one is moving. You know, maybe they're just hitting one or two big shots. 
uh, like a big serve and like a big forehand and then no, no movement after that. And the points are all very short. Now maybe that's one of the reasons why we see such short rally lengths uh, now coming out on, in junior and high school tennis. Some of it can be linked to poor movement skills. If a player does not have good movement skills, they're going to be inconsistent. If a player does not have good movement skills, they're going to be impatient usually because they know they can't maintain the rally for a long time. They're not going to be willing to play defense. They're not going to be willing to grind points when necessary. So the, the footwork to me is so integral to the rest of the player development and it has to be linked and synchronized with the, the upper body work of the swing, obviously. So sometimes I tell my players, we need to develop your handwork. That's the swing, but we're not going to neglect your footwork. In fact, they're both important. And if we can get the handwork beautiful, and we can get the footwork beautiful, we can get to the point where you never miss. And that's what it means to be a top-ranked junior, that's what it means to be a professional player. Literally, you, you cannot miss. The only reason you miss is if you get tired or you maybe go for a bigger shot than, than, than you're capable of or you take a little more risk than, 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 uh, than your normal rally ball. And if somebody hits a very pressing shot that hurts you, they could make you miss. But in terms of missing on your own at a certain pace, you, you will never miss. If your footwork is good, your handwork is good, you cannot miss the ball. And that's what we're trying to accomplish as junior developers. We're trying to develop beautiful, perfect movement downstairs, and we're trying to develop beautiful, perfect technique upstairs with the handwork. If we can get both of those together, we're going to have a top-ranked junior. We're going to have a player who could potentially be a pro or top college player because they've got everything organized in their game, right? So that's how I see footwork development, footwork and movement. You have balance. I mentioned split step. A lot of coaches will mention split step. Some coaches work on that a lot. I think way too much. They obsess about the split step. I know coaches that use, who use special devices with lights and timers, machines to try to train the split step, which I think is going way overboard. You know, we definitely don't need too much fancy technology to work on the split step. Very simple. You can toss the ball to a player and work on that skill. You can rally with the player and work on their split step. You can feed balls with the racket to the player and link up or sync up their eyes with the right time to split step as the as you're hitting the ball players should be in the air as the ball is coming over to them so they they, sh they should be in the air coming down as the ball is crossing over the net towards them so a lot of players will split step too soon or or too late it's not enough to start your split step at the at the hit because then if the ball is coming quickly you won't get down in time to make a good acceleration to the ball so it's important to be in the air before the hit and then coming down as the ball's passing over towards you. That's really important in terms of the timing of the split step. And that way you'll get a premium push off in either direction towards the ball. But a lot of people overcomplicate the split step. I've seen a lot of presentations about the split step. 
that I think make it way too complicated. It needs to be wide. It needs to be balanced. The heel shouldn't touch. The, the foot closest to the ball that will often turn out, but I don't think you need to train that. Some coaches try to train like little details and nuances like that. You don't need to train that. It's going to happen with anticipation. But you want to get the toes straight forward, the landing, and, and then a good push to the ball, with, usually with the crossover step, the first move to the ball. And the biggest thing is getting the, the timing right with the opponent, with the rival. When the rival hits... The player has to be leaving the ground before the, the impact of the hit, and that, that's really important. If you, if you leave late or if you leave too early, you're not going to get any benefit from the split step. Most of the young kids that I work on, I don't see any split steps. Kids coming out of U10, I mean, none of them are doing that in a disciplined way. If they are split stepping, they're split stepping at the wrong time, so it's a complete waste of, of effort. And I think that most coaches either don't enforce it or they don't know how to teach it well. The fastest way to teach split step, which is, it is an important skill uh, in, in, in the young, younger ages, is to start with hand feeding. You hand feed the split step and get the technique right. You can do a lot of drills like that, a lot of repetitions. And then the easiest thing is just to rally with the player. Rally softly. And what I do is I say split or jump. I audibly, I say it loud. I shout it out right when I need them to split. So as I'm swinging forward, I call it before I make contact with the ball and I get them airborne at the right time. And then I watch to see if they're coming down correctly and making a good first move to the ball. And that's how I do it with all my young players. You can do it with a low compression ball if you want to make it a little easier for them. But I usually do it with a, a yellow ball or a slightly deflated yellow ball, like an older yellow ball. Uh, old balls work great for that and they're cheap. So very simple. It doesn't need a lot of fancy machines or equipment. I think someone's created an app for the split step or some, some fancy machine to monitor the split step. I mean, this is crazy, guys. It's way too much, way too much effort. I mean, I'm sure there's some, some genius doing that. I remember one guy, he, I forget his name. He, he emailed me all about the machine and all of the research he's been doing. I was like, dude, that's awesome, man. I really think it's great that you you put all this time, last few years, to develop. I think he has an app, or uh, I forgot. I'm sorry, I forgot the the guy's name. He has a device and an app. But I was like, dude, it's so easy to teach it. All you do is just just hand toss a few, then do some rallies. The biggest thing is rallying, and then always with constant reminders to the player. The coach has to be really on it because the player is going to mess up the split step all the time. They're going to do it too soon or too late, or they're going to forget to do it. And then the, the icing on the cake is to play points with the young player. Play points, but don't hit too hard. Play with control and watch if they're making the split steps in the actual points or come to one of their tournaments, one of their match plays, and see if they're carrying through with the split step technique at the right time. And that's when you know you actually got it locked in. It's not enough just to do the split step during practice. So that's what I would tell you guys about the split step. And please don't go for too much technology or too much, uh, too, 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 don't get too complicated with the split step. Please keep it simple, hand tossing, a little rallying, audible cues, audible reminders to the player about when, the timing. The timing is everything. They have to link up their eyes. This is one of the hardest things for little kids to do is to watch across the net. So well, they have to hit their ball and then, they, and then immediately have to change their tracking 
to across the net to the rival or the opponent. They like to say rival in Spain. So they have to uh, look across the net to the opponent, and as the opponent's swinging, they have to time their own split step. So it takes a, a, a lot of observation and tracking from a young player. Many young players just focus their eyes on their side of the net. So it's like when the ball crosses the net, then they hit it, and the whole game is on their side of the net. And we really want to get them learning to track across the net and to judge the technique and the swing of their opponent and then time it with a split step. Also, that's a good preparation for tactical anticipation. You get those young kids looking at the player, and they're watching the swing. Maybe they're looking at the technique of the swing and they can, and, or the positioning of the player, and that can be also the beginning for a young player of learning to anticipate where the ball is going to go, which also aids in movement. Very important to develop that anticipation, the, the reading with the eyes, the, the judging with the eyes, the tracking with the eyes of a young player, which will enhance movement. You know, it's not just technique, it's also reading and anticipating. I know many young players who are not that fast, like if you just put them on a track, they wouldn't be that fast, but they actually get a lot of balls because they, they're tracking across the net and they're tracking their opponent very well, they're reading very well, and then they're able to react or anticipate and put themselves in the right place to receive the ball, and that helps them get to a lot of balls. And then sometimes you have a player who's like an amazing athlete, super fast, is running like the wind, like lightning, but they don't get to a lot of balls. It's so weird. You're, you're like, why can't this player maintain a long rally? Why is this player always struggling to get to the wide ball there or the short ball there? They're blazing fast. They always look out of balance. They always look surprised. And that's because that player is not reading across the net very well. They're focusing their eyes in the wrong, the wrong area of the court, usually on, on their own stuff. Like sometimes those kids are thinking about too much their technique or too much about uh, what, what, what they're doing, and they're not looking farther away to anticipate. So that's also a huge part of the movement, guys, is getting the eyes trained, the eyes uh, used to reading and tracking. There's some amazing drills by Luis Bruguera, the legendary Spanish coach, in his system. I've studied his system for many, many years, and I included some of his drills in my book, The Secrets of Spanish Tennis. Great book, guys. I, I, I included some excellent exercises that he uses to train the eyes, to train the anticipation, to train the anticipatory movement, and, and to train the reaction. There's one drill that he calls reaction. It's actually called reaction, where he stands up close to a player, and he tosses a lot of quick... Uh, a lot of balls in rapid succession. So uh, quick balls that surprise the player, and sometimes he does little fake-outs, and he's always trying to get the player's eyes to track the ball better and, to be, and for the player to be quicker with their reaction. And so I think those are, some, those are examples of, of innovative... It, that's an example of innovative coaching, where a coach says, I want to train this skill, I want to get it into my young player's... Uh, at an early age, and so I, I'm going to develop this exercise with hand feeding to, to challenge the eyes and the quick reaction of the feet and, the, and ultimately the positioning of the body. So from Luis Bruguera, I believe I also include that drill in my online course because I use that drill all the time. What I included in my online course on, on the Teachable site on our, at our online school, I included the drills that I use. There's no BS. There's no fluff 
or filler, right? I included exercises that I use that are simple, that are efficient, and that work. I'll give you another example of what I, I don't like in, in footwork training. I do like and I don't like. There's a very well-known footwork trainer. His name is David Bailey. And I've actually studied with him a lot. And David is a good dude. And he's a world-leading expert on footwork. But in my opinion, I would never use his method to train footwork with a player except a player who is really, really struggling with the, the mechanics of the movement and who, to be honest, is someone who is quite clumsy or uncoordinated. In my opinion, the way that David does it is way, way too complicated and very, very inefficient. He's a great dude. I really love his stuff. I bought his course, so I'm like a paid, paid member, paid customer so I like I've given him hundreds of dollars for his course and I loved it I loved it from a coaching perspective from a study of biomechanics perspective a study of, of movement perspective but I realized very early on that David made the course way too complicated for most kids especially talented kids and I work with a lot of talented kids they call me the prodigy maker I got a lot of prodigies in my stable got a lot of athletic little little boys and girls and I realized that if I followed David Bailey method the method of that David uses is is too many progressions too many steps and and very inefficient take a long time to learn and absorb and what I realized was a lot of the talented kids that I have they don't need that much maybe a a, a few contact moves here a few adjustment steps there and they're good to go, right? They have, they have most of the movements mastered. And what I try to do is take the best of what David does, the best of the Bailey method, the, the best contact move. In, in the Bailey method, he has names for the, the different stances and moves that you do at, at, at contact. So he, I t try to take the best movements that he studied and the ones that I, I felt that were more important. And I, I, work, I tried to work those into my system of training and make it a lot quicker and more efficient. I'm always trying to find the quickest way from A to B. I'm always interested in finding the fastest way to train players. So in that situation, in the, if you have a situation where a player is maybe very clumsy or uncoordinated, you might need to take them through many different progressions of footwork using some of the Bailey method. But even then, I just don't believe that you need to master all of the the movements that that he promotes and I wish that he would streamline his course a little bit to help more players that way I don't think you need to do it uh, as in as in intensively or in, in such great breadth and depth the, the, the breadth and depth that he goes to is amazing I appreciate that from an academic point of view but not as a coach as a coach I'm trying to find the simplest messaging to give to my players the simplest approach the quickest way I can get them from A to B with with uh, with their movement training right and I don't like to divorce movement from the swing uh, that much that's another thing that David does a lot he's a footwork expert right so he does a lot of focus on that and purely that I, I, I want to try to teach the footwork and the handwork together in synchrony as 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 much as possible so uh, I will always try to combine handwork and footwork when I can. 
with some players it's not possible they need more focused footwork they need more specialization in just the movements of the feet and when I recognize that in a player we do that but if possible you will save yourself so much time if you train the handwork the swing along with the footwork because the player is going to progress faster fewer progressions equals more efficient training I'm always trying to cut down progressions it goes for technique too and we talked about technique a lot on this program progressions are good but if you can work with fewer progressions if you can find uh, fewer steps you know simpler simpler way to get to your destination it's better it's better obviously if you don't use any you can't operate with no progressions because sometimes you have someone who struggles and then you gotta break it down but whenever you're teaching technique or footwork you try to take the simplest path and that means fewer stops along the road if you take a lot of pro if you use a lot of progressions you'll still get to the destination but you'll be getting your player to the destination a lot slower than I will with my player and what I'm advocating is trying to coach in a way that's fast trying to coach in a way that is efficient and gets the player to the highest level possible in this little time and I think that's important in today's age because we know that everyone is pressed for time and everyone wants things quicker which is there could be good it could be bad we see a lot of debates about that in our in society cultural debates but the fact of the matter is people have less time and kids are very busy high school imagine high school kid with all the challenges of of going to, to a good academic high school getting ready for college I have a number of high school kids who are they train with me because I get them as good as I can get them with minimal training time because I think the methods that I'm using are very efficient and in those situations it, it, it's, it's a big plus for them because they don't they don't it doesn't they can become a pretty good player with my method and they they it takes them less time to do that they can keep their game sharp in less time than with another coach that's why they stay with me even if they're not going to be a professional player or even if they they won't go to college there you know there's maybe serious high school players some of them want to go to college now if you have a young kid and you're trying to get them to the pro tour it's better to get them to the pro tour faster you get a kid to the pro tour by 16 they can have more years of earning power. They don't, the, the more time they spend in juniors, those are years that they're not making money. The longer you stay in juniors, the longer you're playing tennis, com competing, and not getting paid. And that may sound sort of like crass commercialism or just sort of seeing uh, junior development from a business angle, but when you're dealing with families that want their kid to be a pro, families who maybe are not that wealthy, and tennis is their ticket out out of their social economic background there's a lot riding on that kid's development and I promise you mom and dad want the kid to get as good as he or she can as fast as possible so they they can start making a living and bringing money back to the family there's a, you, know, you can think of a number of examples of that where the player is the major breadwinner for the family and so if you're dealing in that high-end sort of development with a potential professional players and I have worked with some families like that where they have very talented young players and they are 100% focused on the journey of becoming a pro and if they don't have a lot of money that needs to happen faster sooner than later right faster quicker 
That's really, really important for coaches to understand that. And, and um, we talked about this last week on the show. Guys, forget the, the cliche that tennis is a marathon and not a sprint. It can be a long journey, but we want to make that long journey as fast as possible. We want to sprint that marathon. So training footwork is another area that really slows down the race, slows down the performance along the journey. And so I would just caution everyone to be very careful and use footwork training, use the, drill, use, use the drills that, that, that I promote, that I, that I have in my courses, use them sparingly, use them selectively, use footwork training when necessary. Don't f- say that, oh, I have this footwork system and all my players have to do one or two years in my footwork system because that, then they'll, they'll have the foundation to be a pro player or a top player someday and footwork is everything, blah, blah, blah. You hear all these cliches. I used to coach that way. I, used, I think when I f- first started coaching seriously and I, I sort of coached the way my, my coach taught me. So Gilad taught me all these amazing footwork drills and, and his method was amazing. And I, I said, okay. I'm just going to train everyone with this footwork method and whether no matter who they are, whether talented or not talented, and I'm going to make this, this is my system. I, I, I teach footwork and I'm really tough and I, I've developed these beautiful movers and if you don't want to do footwork, you know, get the hell out of here. That's the way I used to coach when I was real young and I think that was wrong. You know, I think that was a mistake. It was too one size fits all. Very important to know how to teach footwork, to know how to get real technical with footwork, but to use your expertise selectively and only when needed. Because if you start to divorce footwork training from handwork training, it's going to slow down the rate of development and you're going to have a kid spending a lot of time with progressions and techniques. They're going to be thinking about their feet too much. You know, it can get very, can get very, it can become unnecessarily complicated. And I'm always trying to seek simplicity a la my mentor in Spain, Luis Bruguero. Lu- Luis Bruguero is the, the first legendary Spanish coach who I, who I studied with after, after Pato Alvarez. I studied with him and Pato Alvarez. And Luis Bruguero, one of the first things I remember him telling me is that coaches make the game too complicated. That coaches need to work more simply. And he says it all the time. Coaches need to say less. They need to talk less. Coaches talk way too much, he used to tell me. And in the beginning, I was like, yeah, whatever, Luis, you know. But as I spent many years studying with him, I think he's right. We, we need to try to find simple ways to coach. We need to talk less. When we talk, it needs to be important things that we're saying. And we don't need a lot of other, other messaging or messages going on. Giving, we don't need to give other messages to the player, too many messages or too complicated a message. Tony Nadal talks about that as well. I'm, I've studied with Tony in Spain, and also I'm taking his online course, which I love so much. He has a wonderful online course for coaches and parents, and I've been studying that for the last year now. I'm still working through his online course. It's a very long course. And Tony is also a big believer in keeping things simple, in, in speaking to players in a simple way, and, and communicating with, with fewer words and with, with fewer complex ideas because we want to teach, we want, he says we want to teach simply and effectively and 
I think it's the same with footwork training. So, I have some interesting questions that I got this week on footwork. I think probably a good time to get into it, unless there's maybe another aspect of the basics of footwork that I think are important. I'll mention one more. Before I get to the questions from some of the audience and some of my 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 fans and some of my my online students, so I got some questions from some online students and I got some questions from the audience of the show. They sent it to me. Guys, you can send me your questions via email or you can message me or you can even uh, WhatsApp me. I'm, my WhatsApp is 914-462-2912, 914-462-2912, Chris Lewitt. So I have parents from around the world. They WhatsApp me all the time. They send me player videos. It's really cool for me. I do it for free. I watch the videos for free and I give feedback. And I, I like seeing play I like seeing players who are like from another country from India or Africa or, or Asia, places that I don't spend a lot I, I don't travel to um, uh, frequently or at all. And you see a lot of interesting cases, like sometimes you see a very talented kid, uh, very talented technically or motorically. Uh, you, you see a lot of different characteristics from different parts of the world. That, that, that I find very interesting as a technician myself. I love to look at technique from players from different regions of the world. So I love getting the WhatsApp videos, guys. I love getting videos in my email which is chris at chrislewitt.com, chris at chrislewitt.com. So you can WhatsApp me or, or email me, and I review player videos from all over the world for free. We, we don't charge for that. And I'm happy to try to help you and your family. I love helping children, and I also learn from those videos. I, I, I find it educational for myself, so I, I get a benefit from that. Okay, my buddy Brian Bleem is watching. What's up, Brian? And I, I noticed... A lot of waves from old friends and some big names. Jeremy, you're back. Jeremy Malfay is back. What's up, buddy? Jeremy's a good technician. Chime in, Jeremy. You do a lot of footwork analysis. Jeremy's got a bunch of stuff going on online. Uh, we can get a nice discussion going. Brian Bleem has a question. What do you got for me, Brian? He says, thoughts on the spider run. Whatevs. That's my answer for the spider run. Whatevs. My, what I'm after is the technique of the movement and the balance and positional training the Spanish way. So the technique I learned primarily from my old coach Gilad and also from spending a lot of time studying David Bailey method with, you know, with David Bailey. I give him a lot of credit for getting the, the technical analysis done. He watched many thousands of hours, I think, of professional players. He watched their feet. And he made some excellent, made some excellent breakdowns and analysis of pro footwork movement. So I don't... That part, you have to get right. That's the technique. You know, the actual steps, the stances, the... the the details of, of where the feet should be placed and moved in motion, that's very important, and the recovery. The recovery is huge. Recovery is huge. And I want to touch on that before I get into some of the, the questions from, from the week. What should we call it? Like the, the mail or the grab bag or the, 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 the pre-show pre questions? I have to think of a cool name for the questions. If you have a cool name for the questions, let me know. But spider run is more like 
like a fitness drill. You know, it's not really going to work anything specific. You're not going to develop a great mover doing a spider run. Ask me about some other exercises. What, what, what you need to do is include the ball and, and reading. So there has to, the player has to see the ball arriving, and then they have to put themselves in the position to receive it. That is critical whenever you're doing footwork training. So you always want to include the eyes and the reading aspect, and the spider run doesn't have that, usually doesn't have the racket involved. And like I said, you want to try to include the swing as much as possible to save time. You don't want to do too much footwork without the racket. I do like shadowing a lot. Shadowing is very good. That doesn't involve the eyes as much unless the, the player is tracking like a signal from you as a coach. Sometimes that's real good. Like Pat Echeberry's got a, a lot of really good exercises that he does with the racket. Very good lateral movement exercises from the Echeberry method or Echeberry system. I studied with Pat uh, for, for a while and I, I really like, I think he's really brilliant. So there, if you're interested in some good fitness exercises with the racket for footwork, I would recommend uh, Pat Echeberry's program for that. Echeberry, it's E-T-C-H-E-B-E-R-R-Y. Pat Echeberry is a very famous fitness trainer. He does a lot of movement and footwork drills, but with the racket, rather than just like a spider run or different kind, kinds of sprints or stuff like that. Obviously, that off-court work is really good with the trainer, but it's not a, uh, um, doesn't replace the on-court reading the ball and, and specific movement drills that, that, I, that I do. And I, I think that's key because when the trainer starts to say that, that, that he's going to make the movement better, I think that's wrong. The, the trainer can complement what I do on the court as a technician but I got to do the work with the kid. Like I have parents who come to me, Brian, you, you, you make a really good point or you help me to think of a really good point. I'll put it that way because I have a lot of parents who come to me, their kid's not moving well, and they've enlisted the help of a trainer, right? And, and they, they said, well, we're working with a trainer. We're going to Blue Streak or we're going to Parisi Speed School. We're going to a, you know, a, a, we're working with a track and field coach or whatever, and that, that is awesome. I'm, I, I think that's great. But that's not going to really, in my experience, it doesn't make the player move efficiently on the court because they need to, to, like I said, they need to read with the eyes and they also need to have the specific movement patterns, the technique of the feet and the legs. They have to be trained with the coach on the court, usually trying to incorporate the ball. And the racket with swings. And the, the trainer doesn't normally do that. Interesting that Pat Echeberry, he started to branch out into on-court training like that. Like using the ball a little bit. Sometimes he'd use, you know, he, he, he does that with medicine balls sometimes. He does the footwork training with medicine balls, which is uh, also a very good method. But most trainers don't have that expertise. They don't really know how to train it on the court. So my method is all about the coach, the coach being the technician, the coach using the ball, training the eyes, the feet, and the hands as much as possible in concert together in a synchronized way. So that's the, the hands is the swing, the eyes are the, the reading component, and the, the, obviously the feet are the, the footwork and, and movement skill. I, I, those three areas should be intertwined. They should be 
you should try to ingrain them together when possible. As I mentioned, if the player is struggling, like maybe not that coordinated, you may have to focus on just one area and break it down, may have to do some progressions, but you try not to work with too many progressions if you can avoid it. So that's what I would say. I mentioned the, re the recovery, and I don't mean recovery like after a match, I mean the recovery step. To me, that is also one of the biggest issues in movement training that I see with young kids coming out of U10 programs. They don't know how to recover. So after a shot, the kiss of death for me or something that really gets my goat, gets me upset, is when I see a player like hit a shot and then keep running. You see that all the time. Seven, eight, nine years old, 10 years old, 11, whatever. I, I, I coach all those ages and it's, it's a disaster where kids are not taught how to stop. They're not taught how to stop, stabilize themselves, and then make a good crossover recovery or even a good technical side shuffle recovery. The many players don't side shuffle correctly. I've seen a lot of terrible technique on the side shuffle, like a basic basketball shuffle. There are young players who can't even do that, you know, which is a really sad commentary on what's happening maybe even in gym class in schools, but, but also on the tennis court where I have players who are 10, 11 years old who side shuffle on their heels or have weird pronation of their feet or doing something, or something real sloppy like slapping their, the insides of their feet together or, or whatever it is, their balance is off, they're, they're, they're leaning, they don't have good torso control in a side shuffle. And I'm like, I'm like what, the, what is going on here? Like, how can you be... And some of them are like these pretty, pretty good players and they just, they have no movement skill. Sometimes you see kids with a pretty good ranking, like high ranking, usually not national level, but you might see a kid doing pretty well sectionally. I'm trying to think nationally, like can a, t can a kid make top 100 without good footwork? It's possible. It's possible that a kid can get even a pretty good national ranking with clumsy footwork. How is it possible? If they have a big serve, if they're very powerful, you, know, you can play a power game and you can get fairly far on the national junior level really without much movement skill. But gosh, it's the worst thing when you see it, you have a kid and you just you hit them one wide ball and they just, they just keep going. Or they hit, I guess another thing that sometimes you see is you see a kid run to a ball and stop and then nothing else happens. Like when, when they hit the ball back, they don't, there's, no, there's no movement back into the court. They just stand there. That's another you know, diametrically opposite problem. They're both wrong. They're both a disaster, right? But I'm shocked that at, at the young age, it's six, seven, eight, nine, in, in most clubs, the kids that I see coming out of most of the local clubs in this area, New York and New England, I, I focus my coaching in the Northeast here. I have players who come to me from all over the country. That's very interesting when I see players from different parts of the U.S. Uh, we have the summer camp where I have players coming from all over, from, from many different states as far as California and Florida and Midwest, everywhere. And even Canada, we, we, we have sometimes a few international players at my summer camp. So I see a, a wide mix of players, but uh, the majority of the players that I work with are from the Northeast in New York, you know, New England, Northeastern U.S. And just, it's, it's inexcusable, really, 
what you see uh, in, uh, in, in terms of the footwork technique that these kids are taught or, or not taught in the younger ages. And I think the biggest reason why is probably, if I had to surmise, it's probably because it doesn't pay off for the coaches. They, like I said, they, they get fired or they lose, they lose uh, clients. You know, the client's going to go to the guy who plays games and makes it fun. Versus uh, who wants to go to the guy who's telling you to move your feet more for an hour. That's going to be a real dreary lesson. You know, it's going to be tiring and the kid's going to be, maybe the kid's going to complain. And it's you know, just, just a big hassle for most of the, the everyday guys in the trenches, you know, guys and girls who are coaching. So I don't know what to say. I think you can do it and make it more fun and, and you can still teach. Why is it just... It's just like all or nothing. You just see the coaches just give up, you know. They just say, hey, remember a split step, and that's it. Or they, or they just, they don't say anything at all about technique. They don't teach technique at all. Just, or they just teach some, some, they just throw out a lot of cliches like move your feet. Like if, if I hear another coach, I watch a lot of coaches. Whenever I go to other clubs, or I'm always watching coaches, and if, if, if I hear that cliche one more time, I'm going to go crazy. Like, move your feet. What does that mean, move your feet? Coaches say it all the time. Move your feet. You've got to explain to players what you want, specifically. Does move your feet mean split step at the, at the opportune time, right before I hit the ball? Does move your feet mean you want me to bounce like a boxer before... You know, when, when I'm not hit, when I'm not moving to the ball, does move your feet mean I want to see a better, more explosive crossover side shuffle? Does move your feet, what, like, what does it mean? You know, and we haven't even got into like attack footwork or defense footwork. But I mean, that may be a topic of another show. I'm just trying to go over some basic fundamentals here. And I think the show is already going kind of long. And I haven't even gotten to the talk about academies or homeschooling, which I promised some, some of the audience earlier that I would get to that. You know, I guess it's a bigger subject than I thought. I wasn't sure how big a subject we're getting into, but these are just like basic fundamentals that you expect to see, U10. I expect to see them. All of my observations about U10 are because I get those kids at 9 or 10 or 11 or 12, and I'm supposed to train them and to become highly ranked players, and I just see a huge deficits coming out of those ages. So the way that I look at uh, developing a five, six, seven-year-old, I think is really good because I'm, I know what I want to see at 10. I know what I want to see at 12. So I, I try to get those skills baked in real early, and I don't know if other coaches see it that way. I think most coaches are just following some stupid red, orange, green manual or whatever, net generation drill book or god knows what 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 people are following for their youth what their club director is telling them to do for u10 that's these people have no idea of how to prepare a young kid five six seven eight so that they can be a top ranked player at 12 or by 12 you know and that's my perspective i'm always thinking about okay how can i get this kid five six seven or eight as fast as possible to a good national level so they have a shot, uh, at least the foundation and the potential future to play top division one and maybe even go pro if, if possible, right? Mo most kids won't go pro. Most kids will typically play college, 
but you never know. You, you always get those, a few of those special ones, those prodigies, right? I would say someone who ends up in Division One probably also a prodigy too. It depends on your definition of prodigy. So really quick, I just want to talk about that crossover step. If you've got a, a young kid, one of the first things I do, I have a kid come to me who's young, like six, seven, eight, whatever. So I, I hit with them, I play with them, and I give them a wide ball, right? Some kids look amazing from the middle. Man, guys, I have a ton of ideas here for footwork for you, but you know, some kids look, I'm thinking of new, new ideas here. We may have to do another show on this, but you know, they hit amazing from the center, and then as soon as you give them a wide ball, everything falls apart. And so that is one of the first tests that I do. I, I, I shoot a ball to the alley, or if I play points with a player, I'll hit a ball wide. And I just observe how, what they do. Do they, do they move outward efficiently? Are their outsteps good? Do they set up their base of support well? Are they balanced? Do they stop after they hit the wide shot? Or do they just keep running into the side fence or into the, you know, do they keep going and take extra inefficient steps? And do they make the essential crossover side shuffle movement? Good crossover side shuffle. If, if the kid doesn't do that, I know that they haven't been taught much with the footwork because we all know that the primary movement to train is lateral and those, those, are the key, those are the keys to lateral movement. So that tells me right away the coaches dropped the ball big time. Whoever coached them when they were little dropped the ball big time. I mean, I make a living. I shouldn't give away all my trade secrets because I make a living. I make a great living with players coming to me who don't know how to move. And I, 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 I just teach them that. I talked about this on my online course. I, some, I have parents paying me... A lot of money to teach the basics of lateral movement. Why shouldn't that be trained in the, in the red, orange, green program? It's insane that that's not trained well. But I, have, I make a very good living with parents coming to me saying, my son, my daughter doesn't move well. Can you help me? And I'm just teaching like the basics. What my old coach Gila would say, the basics. I'm just teaching, teaching absolute basics the way that I see it, but it's not being taught. It's not being taught. The kids, kids looking at me like I'm some sort of tennis footwork god. The parents are amazed. But this is fundamental, basic movement technique and movement patterns that it's incredible to me that, that it's not stressed with the kids at a young age. Thank you for the thumbs up. Appreciate it. Guys, should we get to some of the questions I promised I promised some fans that we would answer the question. So we'll go to the grab bag. What do we call it? The grab bag. Right, let's see what I got. The mail. Should we go over the mail for the week? What do other shows call their reader, uh, reader or audience questions or viewer questions? We call it the grab bag. The mailbox. We'll go to the mailbox. Guys, we're going to go to the mailbox now and see what we got. We have some footwork questions. Okay. I have a question from... Tom, who's this from? Tom from Europe. It's Tom the tour coach from Europe. Guys, if you're on Facebook, this dude, he's a cool dude. He posts a lot on Facebook. So he's always messaging me, uh, trying to get clarification on stuff. So Tom, this one's for you, buddy. Tom, tour coach from Europe. And he actually is from Europe. Okay, he says, I'm just going to read it off my iPad here. What situations should we use the open stance, shifting the body weight from 
right loading, outside leg on left inside leg, and when from the right leg on right leg. That's kind of confusing. So what he's talking about is when, when would you land from an open stance, when would you land on the right leg? And that's going to be moving laterally. That's when you land on the right. You don't really land on the, the right leg, Tom. You, you, ran, you try to land on both simultaneously. So the other situation that Tom's referring to is when you use an open stance and you transfer forward. So like David Bailey usually calls that a, a, a transfer or a front foot transfer or an attacking transfer, whatever you want to call it. And so that's when you're moving forward into, a, into the court and you can sometimes use that uh, when you're moving laterally. Like you can, you can go to the ball later, laterally and then attack the ball with a, a forward transfer. But typically when you're moving laterally towards the doubles alley, you land simultaneously or almost simultaneously with the, the outside leg and the inside leg. So Tom, moving out wide, you can tell your students to use the open stance that way. And when you're moving forward, you want to attack, especially if you want to make a transition to the net. That's what I teach on transition. I have two, only two footwork moves that I teach to attack the net. That's a, maybe the topic of another show because I see the craziest stuff being taught for footwork to attack the net. And sometimes so complicated. And maybe I won't name names, but some other online gurus who teach footwork, maybe you guys know who I'm talking about. There are some gurus, online teachers who are very well known, who sell a lot of footwork courses that are way, way too complicated, in my opinion, and they will steer you in the wrong direction, and they will get you all mixed up and confused, and then you get to buy more courses to try to figure it out. And there's a lot of junk on YouTube. Oh my gosh. Try to learn footwork on YouTube. You're going to be sifting through hundreds of different videos and different opinions, and it's, it's Byzantine. It's very, very complicated, you know, and labyrinthine, like, like going through a labyrinth, labyrinthine, like, like, like trying to f find, uh, find your way out of, of, a, of a rabid den, you know, a warren. Just, guys, if you want to learn good footwork, I know I'm biased, but I'm telling you, I have a very simple course, whatevs, 39 bucks. It's not going to complicate your life. It's going to make things so easy for you. Simple drills from Spain, from Israel, from my own experience, very easy, done. I'm, I'm, I'm having all my clients uh, get that course, even my own students. I, I give it to my students as homework to watch the course. My own students, or, or, the, or for the parents. I have parents who are training footwork with their kids, and I just say, hey, well, just pick up the course, and you can use all the drills there, and, and you can watch it at home with your son or daughter. And It's a fantastic way to learn, because it, it just reinforces everything we're doing on the court. It's amazing. The online courses are, are fantastic for that type of reinforcement, and if they're done in a simple, efficient way, they can be really, really valuable. The way that footwork courses are taught online now, to me, are, are, is just completely overwhelming. And I don't want to be a cynical, I don't want to be a cynic, but to be honest, the, the more complicated people make footwork to be, the more lessons that they get and the more courses they can offer. So if they, it, you know, this is the problem with online coaching, guys. If 
if I can chop up footwork training into like 10 different parts, I can sell each one of those 10 courses. You know, it, it, it pays better if I can convince you that it's really complicated and hard to learn. But I don't believe that's true. I try to, to, to give you very simple drills and a simple philosophy, simple method. It's much better that way. It's going to save you a lot of money. And, and you're going to learn faster. You're going to have more time to practice because you're not trying to learn you know, dozens and dozens of different movements. And, and I, I'm not talking so much now about David Bailey. I'm talking about some other gurus that you may know. <laughs> I'm not going to name names on that one because I have a lot of respect for, for David Bailey. I just think he's a little too complicated. He's a good dude, though. But there's a lot of other, there's a lot of other footwork stuff out there that I think is, is a, a great way to get lost and confused. And ultimately, it's a great way to, to waste the time that you have, either for yourself or for your kid. So be careful. Cuidado, as they say in Spain. Cuidado. Be careful. Caution. Watch out. You know, buyer beware. Caveat emptor. Anyway, guys, I had another question from my grab bag, or is it my mailbox? Okay, it's the new Prodigy Maker Show mailbox. We never had a mailbox before. Now we have a mailbox. It's very exciting. Let's see what we got. Okay. My buddy Evan Hart, he is a member of the CLTA online school. Evan, thank you so much for supporting the school. And Evan's like gobbling up all the courses. We have six courses at the online academy right now. I think he's bought all of them or something. Evan, you're like my biggest fan that I don't know. Thank you so much. And Evan has a question about his training his daughter. I think it's his daughter, yeah. So Evan says, I have a five and a half year old daughter. She likes hitting kids' tennis balls onto the roof of our house. Okay, cool. She has not really enjoyed group lessons and the group lessons don't teach very much. This is what I'm talking about, guys. So if you enroll your kid in like a red ball class, it's just such a waste of time. It's a waste of money. At five years old or six years old, I've worked with kids at five and six. Some of them are just, you know, bananas land. They can't focus, whatevs, you know. It's, it's, not, it's, just, it's just babysitting. I don't do that. But there's a lot of five and six-year-olds that actually want to learn some stuff. And you can teach some beautiful technique to those kids. And they have a huge head start over the others. Huge head start. So, for example, if you have ten kids, you know, maybe... Five or six of them may be goofballs and it's babysitting time and I don't have to work with those kids because I don't work for a club. I'm an independent coach. I've never had a boss or haven't had a boss for like 15 years so I can decide who I want to work with or not. And there may be four or five of those kids. I'm talking at four or five or six years old and they can learn and they're willing to do technique. And believe it or not, they're willing to move their feet. I love it when I see a coach working on bouncing and split-stepping and, and, and jumping. I have all my players jumping with their stances at a young age. It's so beautiful. And a lot of kids love to do it. A lot of kids love to run and jump. It's like playgrounds, playground times, playground skill. Not every kid is lazy and lacking motivation. 
it's just so sad that all the coaches that start in red ball, they, they teach the lowest common denominator tennis. So, sorry, I got off on a little mini rant there, but at, in red ball is the time to teach some beautiful stuff, you know? So, Evan says he wants to know how he should train his five-year-old, and he asked me about the eye coach and what he should do with his five-year-old daughter. So, Evan, the eye coach is really good. You know that I, I recommend the eye coach a lot to my players and to, you know, I, I've done some videos on my YouTube channel for the eye coach. The problem is the videos that are used for instruction that are floating around the internet are really bad and I would totally disregard all of the training videos that you see. I have a couple iCoach training videos on my YouTube channel, which is youtube.com forward slash Chris Lewitt. Really good, simple videos. You can, you can do forehands and backhands, and you can do footwork training on the iCoach. So it's really good if you're in a cold place. I think you're in Colorado. And you can do footwork training and, and technique training, just topspin technique training. You can't do slides. You can't do any of the stuff on that they sort of promote. The eye coach is, is very simple and it's good for just ground strokes and footwork. And you can, you can get a great workout on that thing. I use it all the time in my house on a rainy day and things like that. You have to be really careful with the eye coach because the mechanism is very heavy. The arm, they call it the arm that holds the ball, in my opinion, is way too heavy for a young kid. And what you need to do is what I do to keep it safe is I actually practice on the eye coach with a broken a racket with broken strings that has a tension of like 10 pounds or you could string a racket at like 10 pounds something really really safe for the arm because I think one of the the biggest issues that I have with it is that the mechanism is too heavy on the arm and so if you're doing a lot of repetitions at home your 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 elbow can get sore your arm can get tired your shoulder can get sore your wrist could get sore so and what I would tell you is I'm a huge fan of the device I recommend the device all the time, especially like to my Manhattan clients that have no room in their, their houses, they have apartments. It's a wonderful device, it's space saving, but you can only work topspin ground strokes and footwork. That's all you can do on it. You can do a lot of the other things that they say you can do. And the videos are, are the teaching videos that they promote, the company promotes are, are extremely outdated. I don't, I don't recommend you, you watch any of those videos. If you need a good video on how to do it, you can check my YouTube channel where I do like modern training on it. And you can also uh, just email me or contact me and I'll, I, I can show you some exercises uh, to do on that. But I think the most important thing to do with a little five-year-old, like let's say with footwork training and swinging, is, is to swing. and I, Swing the racket. Give her a little racket. Play red ball with her or maybe orange, you know, if she's ready. And you can do that at home. Just get a mini net put it up in the garage, you know, or in the driveway if, if the weather's okay, and just do lots of swings with her. I, a great practice is just the garage wall. If you have a wall, it's even better than the iCoach. If you have a, a nice wall in your garage, and she can play red ball or orange ball against the wall, and you can get lots of swings uh, in over the winter and during the bad weather uh, times of the year, Man, that's, that's, that's incredible for a five-year-old. You can get a lot of uh, good repetition done there. But I would recommend it, if she's into private training, if she's into one-on-one -on -one training, like some of the kids who are more serious, they don't like those stupid groups. 
They don't like those groups where it's just a bunch of fruit salad and around the world and whatever other stupid game that the coach is going to play. Or it's a bunch of activities like bouncing the ball up or down that waste a lot of time and that don't actually involve swinging the racket. A lot of the red ball classes that you see for young kids, like half the time they don't even swing the racket. They're doing like stupid gym games, like things you, you should get in a PE class they're doing on the tennis court. And I know that some people will say, well, the PE, PE in, in the schools is, is being pushed out, you know, so there's less PE time. But if I bring my kid to a tennis lesson, I think they should be swinging and hitting balls a lot, a lot of balls, because that's what makes them better faster. Now, your fancy little agility game over here or throwing catch back and forth, that doesn't make the kid faster. It doesn't make the kid better faster. And like I said, I'm all about speed, speed of development. So if you had taken your kid to red ball classes, Evan, and you noticed that, that she didn't like it, I definitely recommend one-on-one training for her and get, give her very serious technical training. If she can handle it at five or six years old, she's going to get so far ahead of the other kids. She's going to progress so fast that when the kids are eight or when her peers are eight or nine, and they've been doing all these stupid classes or they haven't been learning that much or they've been learning at a very slow rate, they're never going to be able to catch her. They won't be able to catch up to her. And that's basically what I do with all my students uh, private, privately here in, in the Northeast uh, of the U.S. And a lot of my players, by the time they're 10, n- nobody's going to catch them technically. They have beautiful footwork and they have very high-level um, swing mechanics And the little kids who are just starting to get serious at at eight or nine or ten, those kids are, there's no way they're going to catch my players. Very rarely will they be able to catch my players. But you need a player who is mature and who's willing to do the technical work. I would have her hit against the wall. I would get a little mini net for your driveway and play tennis with her all the time. Call it tennis. We're going to set up the net and play tennis. You're going to use a red or orange ball. That's fine. At at five years old, it's it's, it's wonderful to have a, a colored ball. I just wouldn't use it when she's like 8, 9, 10, which is, in my opinion, crazy for, um, for a talented kid. You know, if you have a talented kid, they should be playing with, with uh, a green or preferably an old yellow ball. Most of my players are playing with an old yellow ball by, by 7, 8, or 9. And they're playing on a full court, you know. So, so as, as long as you, you can start like this at 5, it's very, very easy because uh, the child is, is, is quite young. But as she progresses to six or seven, you want to get her out in the big court and, and swinging with as heavy a ball as possible so she gets stronger. Obviously, uh, being safe about it. You don't want to use uh, equipment that would, would hurt her, but as heavy a racket as she can use, she can handle safely, and with a, a heavier weight ball, because I believe that by hitting regularly with a heavier ball and a heavier racket, you progressively get stronger as a player. When you swing a very light racket and you hit a very soft, spongy ball for too long or a soft, deflated ball for too long, I, I don't believe it, it helps you get as strong in the end. And I'm trying to get my players as strong as possible quickly. Obviously, it has to be in a safe way. And the other thing I don't like about uh, balls that are, are too soft, too squishy, or, or too deflated is that the, they don't train the eyes as well or the feet as well because kids get a little lazy. They don't have to move as much. They don't have to react as fast. So I try to continually challenge uh, my players, continuously challenge them 
with a faster ball. I try to get them using a fa uh, as fast a ball as possible. Sometimes I joke and say, if there was like another color ball that was faster than a yellow ball, I would maybe try to use that in training to try to increase the reaction the reactions of my players to speed up their nervous system, I would try to find a ball that's faster. Like, you know, they don't make one now, but maybe they should for training. If anyone wants to help me develop one, we should. Like a purple ball or a blue ball that's really fast or something. You know, that, that, that for me is ideal to challenge a young, talented kid. I know that there are kids who are not that, that coordinated and they need to use a slower-paced ball and blah, blah, blah. But that's, not, that's not, not the kids that I'm looking to train. So... I hope that helped, Evan. Do you have any other follow-up here? Let me see. Evan said he's interested in some online training. Yes, he asked me if we were going to have more online course courses or some live trainings. I think we are going to do that in 2020, guys. Stay tuned. We're going to try to do some online live uh, trainings where where you can connect with me in a in a format where, you, where it can be live with Q and A, kind of like being at a at a workshop. As I, we have some workshops coming up, but they're at my Vermont club. And so it's really hard for some people to get there, obviously. So we will try to do some online trainings. I have to investigate some different platforms like Zoom or, or some other, uh, uh, some other uh, digital platform where we can do live, like live trainings. That sounds uh, exciting, and I would love to do that. So I'm going to look into that more. Thank you, Evan. Let me know if you have any follow-up questions. Evan, I know you're working through all the courses online, and it's really great to get more of the Online Academy students on the show to ask questions, and I'm going to encourage everyone to send me their questions so I can answer them on the show. After all, that's what this show is all about, answering questions, high-performance questions, junior development questions, technique questions, footwork questions, all those things. Uh, you know, I love to talk hardware. I like software, too. We can talk tactics, but... The whole idea is to get um, a Q&A to sort of uh, share information and also to try to answer um, questions in high performance or questions in junior development that, are, that many parents are experiencing. You know, that's why I started the show, because I, I have a lot of these planning sessions with parents, uh, these phone conversations and meetings, and they were amazing meetings, and, and I wanted to sort of duplicate that in, in a live format that could be archived and saved. And this is what we're doing. It's great. We get uh, inter international audience. We have questions from parents all around the world. I'm getting to meet more families from around the world. It's so exciting, and it's really a blast for me. And it helps, obviously helps promote my coaching. What I'm doing is, is uh, I think, I think the, way that, the way that I'm coaching, the method that I'm using here in northeastern U.S. is really unique. And it's really efficient, and I'm, I, I, I want to promote that. I want, I want to work with more players. I hope you guys know that I, I am looking for more players who want to train for the Pro Tour. I'm always, I always have my feelers out for some really special families who are doing that. I have a program for that. It's listed at my website, chrislewitt.com. We have a program for aspiring professional players who want to win. It's called... Win on the pro, win on uh, Grand Slam. It's called the Grand Slam Project. So if you have, if you know anyone who is really serious, you want to train from the very beginning at a young age and get to the Pro Tour as fast as possible. I am looking actively looking for prospects, and we also have a special 
business deal for those families where you can train with me at a at a low cost or or it can be a delayed uh, delayed payment arrangement for the player when the player has success it can be uh, we can develop a contract where you don't have to pay now we can take some of the money from the player's earnings later and so i'm i'm there there is a way to train with me if you have a serious kid who wants to go pro and you have your eyes on being a grand slam winner being a world champion i'm definitely looking for you and i hope you're looking for a coach like me i just wanted to mention i don't think a lot of people realize that we have that program you not everyone has to pay 300 uh, an hour to take a lesson with me that we have some some pro programs for those really elite kids who are who want to go pro and i do the consulting i'm, I'm a consultant for those families and also we have programs for, you know, the, the regular uh, talented players who are top national ranked or, or um, you know, have a very good uh, tournament record. We, we have scholarships sometimes for, for those players, depending on their level. The higher the ranking, usually we have some scholarships, especially in our summer camp. So if you have a player who's talented, especially a young one, you know, I love the prodigies. I love the little guys and girls. I love when they come to my court with the, with the bag that's bigger than them. They remind me of my own children. Did you guys know that I have a little baby coming any day now? I have a little girl coming, so I, don't, I wanted to share that with the whole audience, uh, the big fans of the show. We have a baby coming, so I don't know, guys, when it's going to happen, but did you know it's my number four, my fourth one? So we have a baby girl coming, very exciting for our family, and we're all on tenter hooks waiting to see when the baby will arrive any day now. Could be tonight. Never know. But luckily, we're able to have this show, you know, a uh, great show. Should we talk briefly about academies? But the show is going very long. I don't want to go too deep into the academies. Maybe I have to save it for, for next week. Uh, maybe I talk too much about footwork. But I feel there's more, more, guys. There's more that I can discuss about footwork. We, we didn't get into the attacking footwork. Didn't talk too much about defending footwork, which is what they do so well in Spain. They have such good movement on the defense, right? I have a, you know what? I have a, a free video on my YouTube channel. If you're interested in defensive footwork and defensive movement patterns, I have a very good video presentation. It's, it's about 45 minutes long. I, I did it for a USPTA conference. So it, it's very well done. It's professionally filmed by the USPTA. And it's on my YouTube channel. You could, if you're interested in defensive movement patterns, I, I highly recommend that for further study. And uh, as far as attacking movement patterns, uh, that may be, let's do that on, on another, another show because I've seen a lot of, like I said, a lot of different techniques being taught on the attack. And I have two simple moves that I like. The simple moves that I like are basically a front foot hop, which I learned from David Bailey, and also a, a front foot transfer off of the open stance. So basically, that's all I teach. I teach open stance to front foot transfer, which is what Tom Torcoach from Europe was asking me about. When do you use a transfer to the left leg or left foot from an open stance? I use it on, on attacking shots. Uh, from the mid-court, and I use a front foot hop technique, but um, suffice it to say, I think that attacking the net and approaching and attacking mid-court balls is taught way too complicated, way too much, and 
way too much technique, different techniques, so confusing, you know. And everyone's got a different opinion about how, uh, what, to, what to use, what, 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 what steps to take. It's, it's too much. It's just way too much, you know. So you, you keep it simple and you, you teach a, a simple front foot hop or an open stance. The kids should know how to do an open stance transfer as well. And then that's it. They're good to go. And no muss, no fuss. And you're on to uh, the next subject. You know, don't waste six months or a year working on uh, overcomplicated footwork techniques. So, yes, academies. That's a longer discussion, guys. I think we should save it for next show. And, and homeschooling, we save it for next show. That can be uh, definitely part of the next program. And if you, if you have a, like an urgent uh, question, I know I had a few questions about the, those topics. So guys, if you have a, an urgent question about academy or homeschooling, just text me or WhatsApp me or email me or message me and, and I'm always answering. Uh, I try to answer uh, as quick as I can. We have the baby coming, you never know. Baby might be here, but if you don't hear back from me, it might be because we got the baby coming. I can't promise it's going to be super quick if my wife's giving birth, but it's cool. It's going to be a very exciting week. We're waiting for the baby, and we, we're going to, I guess I'll, I will plan for, for next week's show. We'll do academies, we'll do homeschooling, and we'll have a, maybe a technical topic or something like that. Guys, I appreciate so much your support of the show. Please give us a like. Thank you for all your thumbs up. Thank you for your waves. And please share. You can share the show live with friends or you can share the archives of the show. Tell people about our show. Tell your buddies. Tell your, your friends. And, and tell them that there is a, a high-performance coach who is online answering questions and, try, and, and a nice community of folks who enjoy discussing and debating high-performance tennis and, junior and topics in junior development. Uh, please let people know. Uh, share with your friends. If you'd like to watch us on YouTube, I know a lot of people are, we have a lot of fans on YouTube. So our channel, as a reminder, is youtube.com forward slash Chris Lewitt. And if you subscribe, that would be awesome. We're trying to build up our subscriber base there. Remember, we have the online school, clta.teachable.com clta.teachable.com. That's the home of the Chris Lewitt Tennis Academy online. We have six wonderful courses there that we created for you guys. They're super cheap, like 39 bucks. All 39 bucks, like I said. I think it's a really good value. Contact me if you're not sure like what course might be right for you and, and I can try to steer you to the best one. And what we're generating now is a lot of feedback on the courses. People are loving them. All of the people in the online school, I'm getting emails, and we're, and we're sort of developing a community there as well. So this show is sort of part of that, and I would like to get more of the online students onto the show, maybe participating in discussion and asking questions. So we had a question tonight from Evan, who is part of the online school. That's really cool. So we're, we're growing that, that community as well. And what else? You know that I have all my articles. I, I publish a lot. I write a lot uh, for magazines. I, I, I post online a lot. I promote my articles in many different Facebook forums. And I, I generally try to write every week uh, small articles or pieces of observation. 
And all of that, all of my writing, all of my work is stored and archived at prodigymaker.com. So prodigymaker.com is the home of this show. But if you go there, you will see wisdom from all of the legends in Spain whom I've studied with. You will see all of my articles from the last 10 years are there in one form or another. They are, they are archived there and under different topics, different categories. So I think it's an amazing resource. It's absolutely free. I sort of started as a way just, I needed a place, a repository for all of the articles and writings that I had. They were sort of getting divided up all over the internet and I wanted just one place where people could go to read about my philosophy or my take on junior development or technique or whatever it was. So that's where it's at, prodigymaker.com. You can go there you can join our email list there and get updates on when we have new articles posted and things like that. So these are all the ways to stay in touch with me and to pick my brain and to learn my philosophy. I know we have now, I have many coaches who I communicate with who are telling me that they're using my method with their students in their, their local club or whatever region they're in. And that's very exciting for me. It's exciting to feel like I'm influencing the minds of coaches because after all, the, the coaches who I work with and influence, they can reach a lot more kids than I can by myself. The whole goal is to help more children around the world, around the U.S. And the more I have a following of coaches who are using my methods and my approach, I think it's going to help more children. So that, that is a, a worthy goal, right? That's a noble pursuit. And so I'm, I'm very proud and excited about that. So, guys, thank you so much. As always, God bless. Sammy, I think he's out like a light. He didn't really participate much, but he usually doesn't. I'll see you guys on the next program. Uh, if not, you can get, if you can't wait, get in touch with me any one of those ways. By email, message me, you can WhatsApp me, and I appreciate all your support. Thank you, guys. Have a great night. We hope you enjoyed the program. Please give us a five-star review on iTunes and recommend the show to your friends. We greatly appreciate your likes and shares. Thank you for your support of the show and for helping us grow our audience. If you would like to train with Chris, please visit chrislewitt.com for more info. You can also join Chris's online school, clta.teachable.com, and follow his blog at prodigymaker.com. A reminder that all show archives can be found at youtube.com forward slash chrislewitt, and the show can be watched live on Facebook. Just search Chris Lewitt on Facebook to join the show. Thanks for listening, and see you next time. Vamos!